0: Welcome to Never Buy the Book Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Scholz. At 24, I was debt broke and a full-blown alcoholic. By age 40, I was debt-free and a multimillionaire. Now I share my secrets of success and transformation with audiences around the world as a speaker, author, and of course, your podcast host. Each Never Buy the Book episode features a guest who has overcome obstacles to build an incredible life of fulfillment. And on that note, our guest today is Megan Abstin former U.S. Paralympic track and field athlete. After losing her arm in an ATV accident at age 14, she struggled with maintaining her mental health. After many years of grieving and healing and wondering, why me? She approaches her disability with candor, humor, and practicality, using her experience and outlook to help others find hope and self-acceptance. We've titled today's episode with one of Megan's favorite mantras. Own Your Flaws, Own Your Life. Welcome, Megan.
1: Thanks, Kelly. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, excited to Thanks have you here. Thanks for having me on. I know we got delayed a couple months to having you on, but... I know, it's... I'm
1: glad that you're healthy and yeah. able to do it now.
0: I'm glad it's you're great. healthy, too. Me, too. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about the day I heard what happened to you. I knew you were friends with one of my best friend's daughter, and you're about my oldest daughter's age, mm-hmm. and I remember... Getting the phone call from them telling me what happened to you. Knowing that you were the same age as my daughter and going through that, I think it hit me like it probably hit a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Especially in our valley, you know, we live in such a small valley. I mean, everybody knows everybody somewhere or another, right? And I had never met you, but I knew you through through my friends.
1: Through the grapevine, yeah, as most people do in Skagit County.
0: Yeah, so... When it happened, it was like, "Oh my God, what's this poor family gonna do
1: yeah it was it was a wild ride, and it's always interesting to hear other people's um kind of experience of hearing what happened to me because yeah. for me, you know, it was just happening right, you know it was accident, helicopter, harbor view, saving the arm, no arm um and I will say you mentioned our community, and i I'm incredibly lucky mm-hmm. to be from a place like Skagit County because I don't know if I would have had the same success or would have been able to overcome it the way that I have had I not had the support yeah. from people in the community and, you know, people reaching out and being there for my parents and even, you know, the Burlington Edison School District, um, which I ended up leaving before finishing. But um Yeah. Just the sports, my coaches there, my teammates. But yeah, it was definitely challenging for our family. We had just moved back from Florida Mm -hmm. a year before I lost my arm.
0: Okay.
1: Um, And my parents were flipping homes down there. So the 2008 recession had hit them pretty hard. (laughs) They they literally lost practically everything. And so we kind of were moving back here as like a you know, hitting the reset right. button as a family and then not even a year later I get in this tragic accident wow. and lose my arms.
0: So Could um, you can you tell the audience what how it happened?
1: Yeah, sure. So um I was 14 and I was on a side-by-side ATV, a Polaris Razor out in a gravel quarry in Cedar Valley and I just didn't have experience on side-by-sides. I had ridden quads, but You know, I didn't really understand that the side-by-sides tip as easily as they do. And I learned the hard (laughs) way. So I ended up kind of swerving, and I fishtailed, and I overcorrected my turn. um, And instead of the ATV straightening out, it tipped on its side. I stuck my left arm out as a reaction.
0: And the roll bar came down and landed on my arm. So you didn't read the precautions to keep your arms <laughs> inside?
1: No, I okay. know. And they actually have nets on them. I know. Trust me. I've, I've heard that one before. <laughs> yeah. Um. um so, so yeah, so it was 98% amputated. I was airlifted to Harborview. And they tried for about a week to save my arm. They took skin and muscle from my back and tried to patch it up. And they actually were able to get a pulse which was encouraging mm-hmm. um but the kind of a miraculous part of my story is that when the roll bar came down and landed on my shoulder it pinched the brachial artery that's okay. right there completely closed the shoulder dislocating actually completely cut off the blood supply so when the paramedics got there um they were shocked because i wasn't right. bleeding it took them 30 minutes to get there and oh, wow. So, yeah, had that not happened, I would have bled out within just a couple of minutes. So kind of crazy part of the story. Um, But, yeah, so after a week of trying to save it, they basically told me the risks. You know, it was going to take a couple more months to try and save the arm. Um, And then even with all of that extra surgery, they couldn't promise that it would be successful. So at that point, I kind of was just over having this dead weight, you know, arm attached to my Mm -hmm. body and was just ready to amputate and i think it was the best decision that i could have made it was a hard decision obviously Mm -hmm. because at 14 you have to decide to cut off one of your limbs but (laughs) i think it would have just really held me back had i kept it on um i would have been had to wear a sling i was a wrestler at the time um you know, and so after they did amputate, I actually was discharged like a week later because oh, well. it was just sucking the life out of my body, trying to keep yeah. that arm
0: healthy and alive. So so how much of it was just wanting to get out of the hospital?
1: <laughs> yeah, like 90% <laughs> probably. 90% yeah, I'm like get me out of here. <laughs> I, literally, I even remember saying that I was like tapping out, like I'm tapping yeah. out, take this, yeah. take this arm off of me.
0: <laughs> I mean, at 14 years old, I mean, think about that, having to make a decision like that at 14 years old, I mean... You know, I've made a lot of decisions in my life, and a lot of stupid ones, but some good ones. Um, <laughs> oh, me too. Trust me. But at 14, I never had to make a decision like that.
1: Right. And I think, um, and you can probably relate to this, um, it's just one of those situations where you don't, you know, I think the quote is, you don't know how strong you are until being strong is right. the only choice you have. <laughs> and I just think it's just a matter of like, do not that it was do or die, but kind of. But so do
0: or die. <laughs> you know,
1: it's like you just gotta make a decision and keep moving and yeah. um yeah, like I said, I don't regret amputating mm-hmm. my arm. It's it's brought so many people into my life that I would have yeah. not met had I not lost it and it's taught me a lot. And I think I just have a new like appreciation for being here after being that close to not no longer right. being here. Right.
0: Well, you you know, Megan and I were talking before the podcast and you know, the, for a lot of my audience, you know, I've been through quite a bit of tragedy myself and just had emergency open heart surgery eight weeks ago that saved my life. And we are talking about we're both meant to be here. And there's a bigger picture.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like, okay, what is this bigger picture?
1: Yeah. There's and, so many reasons why we yeah. wouldn't be here. Yeah. And yet we are. And we're having this conversation with each other. It's, right. Yeah. I and And then how we got, you know...
0: Connected. I never knew Megan personally until, a f- you know, a few months ago, and it was ironic. I was looking for a guest for the podcast, and her dad reached out to me to speak at a chamber meeting.
1: Yeah. And I it's know. like, it's such a I've school. been
0: thinking about asking your daughter to be on the oh, podcast. No, really? yeah. oh, I didn't even know so, that. So, you know, the way things work, it's just ironic. It
1: is. It is. I know. it yeah. and, and like you said, it's just everything happens for a reason. Right. and. You know, sometimes people go, I've personally have gone through phases where I don't believe that everything happens for a reason right. because obviously when you lose your arm or, right. you know, you you lose a loved one, it doesn't feel like this could be right. happening. Right. It's like why. Yeah. yeah. It's and like
0: the why me, right? Exactly.
1: And you go through that, um, you know, it's natural to go through that, but you can, like, yes, maybe it didn't happen for a reason, but you have the choice right. to create your reality. And, you know, I could be mad. For the rest of my life that I'm missing an arm, or I could appreciate that I still have, you know, one arm and a brain, and and still alive, and I'm here, you know. So it's just, what do you want your life to be? I think I feel like people forget pretty often that they don't that they have control over that, and it's something that like you create your own reality. And yes, things happen to you, and they suck, (laughs) but you can you still have power over your mind and.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yourself. So so what type of kid were you before the accident?
1: Oh geez. Well, um, I'm the oldest of four, so um, we'll just say I won't call so it bossy. So you're a little bossy. bossy then. <laughs> I won't call it bossy. I'll just say I was a natural leader. Um and I like that. I, I was like that. <laughs> definitely um outspoken and probably a little rebellious, which is probably why I got into the seat of or driver's seat of a Razor at fourteen and right. said, "Yeah, I know how to drive. Get out of my way." Um, but yeah, I was—I've always been just—I like—I feel like my whole life I've kind of just pushed boundaries in a way. Yeah. Like, what what can I do? Like, how can I challenge myself? For I don't know. I always like to kind of do things outside the box or mm-hmm. not by the book, as yeah. you like to say. So, so yeah.
0: So, do you think that helped you get through what you had to go through? Because. I mean, to lose an arm at any age mm-hmm. or any limb, let alone 14, I mean, that's pretty devastating.
1: Right. I you know? feel like in certain ways, being 14, um, when my I lost my arm, really aided me in just the rehabilitation process. Because mm-hmm. when you're 14, your brain and body is still so malleable. Um, and so I was able to, like, relearn a lot of things probably more easily than if I were mm-hmm. you know already an adult and my brain was developed yeah. and sealed yeah. up um, but also you know it's really challenging because you're 14 you're going through all these hormonal changes and you know you're trying to figure out right. who you are and then you're trying to figure out who you are with one arm so I definitely think that my spirit helped me in that. Like, I just have always kind of prided myself on being tough. You know, I've done mm-hmm. lots of sports. I've always tried to keep up with my brothers and keep up with the boys. Um, and I think that that definitely helped me. But,
0: yeah, I just think. So you think that helped you emotionally as well? I mean, how to as far as dealing with something like that emotionally and, I mean, losing your arm, yeah, you make the decision to do it, you know, then, you know you're out in a week, now you got to go back to reality. So how do you deal with that emotionally as yeah. a 14-year-old?
1: Well, I definitely think that I I actually can pretty um, clearly remember like my, g- going through the grieving process. Mm-hmm. So I definitely was in denial, you know, and right. just kind of didn't want to accept that this was my real- new reality. And so I just didn't really face those emotions for a long time. And I think the longer that I did that, the harder it became right. because the reality was I did have one. You know, I do have one arm right. now, so we ought to face that. Um, And so, you know, you bargain with it. You go through the why me. Um, And then eventually, you know, I feel like talking about it with mm-hmm. other people. So, I mean, it's really funny. It wasn't like I ever really went to, like, traditional therapy. Mm-hmm. It was more so just... Having conversations with random people, right. yeah. um, and you know you find out that everyone has their trauma. Everyone has stuff right. that they're going through. Everyone has their story. And I think that the more that I opened up about
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know what it felt like and the difficulty of it, the more stories I heard of other people. Right. and even through the Paralympics, um you know you see all these other people with various disabilities and It's kind of – it becomes hard to feel sorry for yourself because, you know, everyone has their stuff. And, yes, my trauma is a little bit more, I feel like, obvious, external, Mm -hmm. right? I'm very obviously missing an arm and your trauma is inside your heart, you know. You lost your wife. So that's not something that you see. And so maybe that's why I was forced to talk about it more (laughs) because – People just want to know right. what happened to your arm. Well, where, you do a pretty, where good, is pretty it? good job of hiding it. <laughs> no, I like, I'll show you later. You can pay. Do you have Patreon subscribers? Yeah. You can pay to see. That could be an extra. Yeah. <laughs> extra content.
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Got to pay for that.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: For um, sure. Yeah. So I just think sports definitely helped right. me through it. Um, I also was really fortunate to have you know, a really great wrestling coach and, um, Lori Saunders, who, um, was just a local, Mm -hmm. um, strength and conditioning coach. She just recently passed away though. Um, but she was amazing and had made a really huge impact on my life. And I think I just wasn't able to make excuses, especially being the oldest of four kids. It was like, my parents were busy, you know, they were trying to rebuild themselves financially. And it was kind of just like, You know, suck it up, like deal with it, right? Go to school, go to practice. And I wasn't really treated differently. Okay. Either, especially at home. Um, it's funny if people come over to my parents' house, I'll struggle opening like a jar of pickles or Mm -hmm. spreading cream cheese. I'll chase a bagel around the counter (laughs) but trying to put cream cheese on it. And people my family it's they're just not phased by it. Like nobody Nobody they're in my just family. Yeah, like, eh, she'll it, figure it out. Yeah, like it doesn't even. They're like blind to it. It's yeah. so interesting. So, I think that that helped me become more independent right after I lost it because it was always like that. You know, it was just kind of like you can do it. Like. Okay. Yeah. Um. But yeah.
0: So did you ever did you go ever go into a dark space? You know, I haven't told a lot of people, but at sixteen. Um, I found out I had degenerative disc disease. I had to quit playing sports at sixteen. Oh gosh! I was threatened to be paralyzed. Wow! And up into that point in my life,
1: that's that scary. was that
0: was me sports. Mm-hmm. And at sixteen, they're like, "You play, you have a chance of being paralyzed." I turned to alcohol. Yeah, that's how I became an alcoholic. By the time you know, right? I mean, literally, I was an alcoholic at sixteen. Finally, figured it out by the time I was twenty four. But well, and
1: a lot of people just don't figure it out a
0: lot of people don't figure it out but you know i went to that side did you ever have anything like that where it was like i just don't want to deal with this and
1: oh absolutely you You know and and how do you get through that well i think that you know it's kind of human nature to want to anesthetize your trauma and Mm. your pain people and you know you can see before the podcast we were talking about the opioid epidemic right. and mental health. And I think that it's easier to numb it than it right. is to talk about it. It's not easy to to talk about it right. and to be vulnerable and to be open. Um, and so, so, yeah, it was definitely challenging because also, you know, I felt like I had to be strong for other people in my life, you mm-hmm. know, because when you lose an arm, you know, it's also your sister – her sister lost her arm, and my parents' oldest daughter lost their arm. So right. everybody goes through that trauma with you, and you – I don't know if it's guilt or mm-hmm. what, but you don't want to – I didn't want to put any more on right. it. But the problem is when you hold stuff in like that, it manifests mm-hmm. in other ways, as you know. Yeah. So, so yeah, i I would say for probably three years after I lost my arm, I was just – I was depressed and angry Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know, you know, I couldn't really like envision my future anymore. And when you can't see, especially when you're a teenager, you know, um, you have this like tunnel vision and you don't have the perspective of, there's a whole world out there and you know, like there's still, I don't know, you just can't see that long range. So yeah, I struggled a lot. Um I definitely abused substances. You know, I was smoking weed all the time, abusing alcohol. Um was I wasn't going to school. I think I had 60 absences my junior year at Burlington and a 1.8 GPA. Kind of sounds, like, sounds like Kind
0: of sounds like a couple things in common. I mean,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just didn't care, you know, right. and and it was I think an act of like defiance in a way mm-hmm. because I was just angry at my reality. Right. But then I came to a point, you ask how I overcome it, I overcame it, and you just get to this point where you realize that all everything that you're doing is only hurting yourself right. and hurting the people around you. So by holding it in and turning to things like drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're still hurting right. your family and hurting yourself. And so at some point I realized I had to take accountability for my life and that if I didn't it would have just right. amount to nothing and I would have a low quality of life and, you know, miserable people around <laughs> me. And I just didn't want yeah. that. And, um, you know, I have a really supportive family and the community was right. great. And, um, yeah, I was lucky enough to end up at an all-girls boarding school two hours south. And it gave me the discipline okay. that I needed. It got me out of the valley for a little while. It was a change of scenery. Um you know, we had required study
0: hall and room checks, and mm. I wasn't allowed to have a car. And so was that a turning point for you? Absolutely. It was. Yeah. So did your parents send you there? Did you well want to go there?
1: Yeah. So was it
0: like get out of here? We're well, not dealing with you kind anymore. Kind of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I
1: kind of felt that. And um, so I actually just started looking
0: up boarding schools. Okay. So I started I was So I was you just, pretty much made that decision on your own.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's actually wow. kind of funny. Um, I brought them down to Annie Wright with me and they, the headmaster asked them if they had any questions and they were just like, nope. Like, <laughs> and when the When can head- take her? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nope. No questions. Like, this looks fine to us. Um, and so, so yeah, it was a total turning point for me and it was actually where I ended up finding the Paralympics because uh-huh. there was a retired Paralympic track coach who was just kind of in- the backyard. He ended up at a track meet there and saw me and asked me if I had ever heard of the Paralympics. And I said, yeah, I have, but I lost the wrong limb. Because at the time, I had only ever seen Oscar Pistorius, who was the double amputee, the blade runner from Mm. South Africa. Um, And he was like, no, you didn't lose the wrong limb. (laughs) There's like hundreds of girls internationally that are running with um, arm amputations and arm deficiencies. And so um, in 2015, I... (laughs) Um, ended up going to a national Paralympic meet. I didn't realize when I went that it was a qualifier for world championships. Um, so then after I competed there, I think I got silver in the hundred and 200, two weeks later, I'm at home. I get a phone call from Colorado Springs. I'm like, Oh, what's this? I answer it. They're like, congratulations. You qualified for World Championships in Lyon, we're sending you your itinerary and all of your USA gear. I didn't even have a passport. So I was like, oh, okay, Uh, had to get my passport expedited. And then at that World Championships was when, you know, I saw people from all different countries with all Mm -hmm. sorts of disabilities and had that, you know, larger scale experience with track. And it was kind of at that point when I was like, okay, like I want, this is what I want to pursue. And that I think was also really transformative for me mm-hmm. because it gave me something like I finally just felt reinvigorated yeah. with like
0: something in life.
1: Yes, it was great for me to be at all girls boarding school, but right. it wasn't like I was thrilled to get up <laughs> at 7 a.m. and go to class every day. So
0: Well, and I would imagine doing the Paralympics, I mean, now you can talk to people who've been through what you've been through right? and understand that Absolutely. you're not alone.
1: Exactly. And like we said before the podcast, like, I think that's just such a huge part of it is so many people experience what we've gone through, but, you know, it's not like the resources are always readily available or it's easy to just start talking about it or like, hey, let me just trauma dump on you while we have coffee (laughs) this morning, you know? so
0: I'm sure for a long time you would get people looking at you like, you know, what's going, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, and actually, so my mom, um, one of her childhood best friends, um, is a breast cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. So she endured losing all of her hair. um, And she told me like a month after I was discharged from the hospital, she came over, sat down on the edge of my bed, and was like, people are going to stare at you.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's going to feel uncomfortable. And you just have to be able to brush it off. And that conversation really stuck with me because I think that I hadn't been out enough to really realize that that was going to happen. Um, and now I don't notice people looking at me right. at all. You know, my friends, yeah. I had a friend come down and visit me when I was living in Florida and she just kept getting so angry that everyone was staring at me. And I was like, oh, they were? Like, I just, I'm like, oh, it's probably because I just look good today. <laughs> it's not, there's no way it's because I'm missing an entire arm.
0: But. Um, yeah. Well, it's become your reality. And
1: like I yeah. say, you
0: don't. You don't think about it, right? Right.
1: You just adapt, I yeah. think, and you know there's resources that will help you, and I think talking about it helps yeah. a lot. Um, but yeah, you just you ad- adapt
0: and overcome. So you start the Paralympics. Yeah. You go to the World Games.
1: Yep. World Championships. Or World
0: Championship. How'd you do there?
1: Oh, geez. <laughs> I made every rookie mistake in the book, athletically. Yes, it was. I was just so nervous. I didn't sleep the night before. I'd never been out of the country. So it was just a whole new experience for me. Um, And it was funny because my mom and grandma also ended up flying over and they wanted to see – they were like, let's go to Paris. Let's go see the Eiffel Tower. I'm like, no, I need to stay in my hotel room and rest. So I literally didn't do any sightseeing. I didn't have any fun. And then still kind of, for lack of a better term, shit the bed okay. <laughs> when it came to competing. Um, so, you know, but it was also motivating. But it was I'm a like, learning experience, yeah, right? Yeah, totally a learning experience. Yeah. And um, yeah, so then I continued to train. Um, when I graduated from the all-girls boarding school, I went to school at UPS mm-hmm. just because I felt like I had kind of built this solid network in Tacoma, and I liked it there. Um, so I went to UPS, which was just 15 minutes away right. from the boarding school, and was training for Rio at the time. Mm-hmm. And when Rio. I was- in,
0: Can you tell the audience what Rio?
1: Oh, so the Paralympic <laughs> Games Rio de Janeiro, uh, 2016. Um, I ended up moving down to Florida to train at IMG Academy um, and qualified in all four of my events, 100, 200, long jump, and the 400. And then two weeks before I was supposed to fly to Brazil, I ruptured my Achilles completely during a long jump practice. So I tell people, yeah, that one was brutal.
0: I've done that.
1: Yeah. Oh, have you really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, we have so much in common. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, I have ruptured mine. I yeah. wasn't training for the Olympics. Well, but
1: <laughs> it sucks no matter what. And so,
0: so yeah. You and I have talked before and you told me about that. So, you know, I mean, you deal with losing your arm. Now, this, you know, you're getting your life back, you're kind of figuring out what you want to do. And then all of a sudden, this happens.
1: The rug gets, and, yeah. yeah.
0: And for anybody that's ruptured Achilles tendon or haven't ruptured Achilles tendon, Let's see. I've had two open heart surgeries. I've had a vasectomy. I've ruptured my Achilles <laughs> tendon and I've had eye surgery. I would take all of those over the Achilles tendon. I either. know.
1: I tell people that lo- that rupturing yeah. my Achilles is, was worse than losing my arm. Yeah. And maybe it's because I had this goal that I was so right. intentional about. But yeah, it's not a fun experience. So how how do you deal with that? What what age are you now? So, at that time I was 21. I had okay. just turned 21 that March and then it was june i think when i ruptured it and you know it sucks because you do everything right i was eating right i was getting 10 hours of sleep i was doing so much recovery you know i'm only wearing my training shoes when i'm not at practice um and you're so intentional and doing all these things so deliberately and then an injury like this just takes it all away so it's not something that you're even thinking is possible especially if you haven't because I was injury, I mean, aside from they losing are, my arm, right. I haven't gotten got a single stitch. Right. So it just wasn't something that I was even anticipating. And I had seen so many doctors about it. Um, they were like, "Oh, it's just bursitis. You'll be fine. with just a little swelling in the right, tendon." Right. It wasn't even um, like diagnosed as a, a uh, Achilles tendonitis or anything at oh, that really? point. Okay. So it was very, it was shocking. It was very traumatic. But I also think that going through the loss of my arm and already having kind of, I felt like at that point it had been, let's see, we were in 2016. So it had been about seven years since I lost my arm. So I had kind of had my mind wrapped around what the grieving process looked mm-hmm. like. So I was able to identify, cause I truly went through the grieving process right. again, you know, watching my oh, team yeah. go, I had to withdraw um, and then training, you know, it's. T- a total mental challenge as well as physical when you come back from an injury like that because it makes you fearful.
0: Well, the mental part's probably the toughest. harder. I would it? say, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So it, it was definitely challenging, but you know, I think that situations like that are also opportunities to mm-hmm. grow. And I definitely had to grow <laughs> with that one, but you know, it's helped me. It's helped me develop and. Definitely, I think helped me just in other areas in life. Being able to overcome something like that, which sounds kind of trivial—trivial, right. like it's just an Achilles rupture. Like, but, but yeah.
0: But it's you got
1: to look for the gift. Of, it's
0: a six-month rehab, right? Yeah, and yeah. And then you got to figure out. So after that, did you
1: so, qualify or
0: train anymore? For yeah,
1: sports? so I, um, I ended up qualifying for. Two more world championships and a Pan American Games, um, and went I competed better at those international events. Um, but yeah, I think that it was it was challenging. But I didn't eventually end up coming back and was um, in 2019 training for Tokyo, and COVID happened, and I just felt like I had switched. You know, there's like seasons in mm-hmm. life, and I felt like. Track had kind of served its purpose for uh-huh. me, and I just wasn't as passionate about it anymore. And what I'm really passionate about is mental health and psychology. Okay. And I had never gone back to school since I had taken that leave of absence uh-huh. um, in 2016, because or 2015, because I ended up just staying at IMG to rehab my Achilles, right. and then my sister moved down, <laughs> and I stayed there for for um, a few more years. But I just really had this. Uh, feeling inside me that I wanted to go back to school and pursue that again. So now I just finished my bachelor's and moving forward to grad school. And Are I'm still coaching track. I'm still involved in track. Okay. It will always have. I will always have a, a you know, track a in my heart. In your heart. Yeah, for, yeah, for track and field. But competitively, I just, I just felt like I'm in a new season of life and ready to do
0: something. Yeah, different. you said you just finished your final exam.
1: Yes, yesterday. Yesterday. Woo! Yeah.
0: And I you know. graduate
1: when? Monday. Nice. Thank you. Oh, that was horrible. That There's was better. Horrible.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so So that's, yeah. That's awesome. So a new new chapter in your life. Yeah. So moving on from sports but still involved in it. Yeah. Okay. For sure.
1: And I feel like once you work out for six days a week for seven years yeah. straight, you can't not work out. Becomes any- a part of your life. Yeah, definitely. It? Yeah. I, for my mental health especially, I feel like. And that's, I need to.
0: Yeah, that's something that really, I want my audience to really think about is what you just said, the mental health of working out and, and having yeah. something like that. Because, you know, I mean, you go through all this stuff, but the one constant you always had was that. Right. Right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, you can't put a price tag on things like that. Right. It's, it's so valuable and it's so useful and it's hard. I mean, especially after... Um, being injured, mm-hmm. you know, I felt insecure in the gym right. and on the track. I felt like you know, I wasn't good enough and I didn't want to run in front of people because I felt like you know, it just was embarrassing to be right. in that condition, but you have to start somewhere. Yeah. And you know, eventually I feel like the more you you commit to something and allow yourself to be mm-hmm. embarrassed or feel insecure right. and just get over those insecurities, it gets easier. And I've seen that even coaching middle school track this year, you know. Mm-hmm. I have some athletes that are really apprehensive. They were really apprehensive to run certain events because they didn't want to look bad in right. front of their peers. And I'm like, just do it once. And then if you don't like it and right. it's as horrible as you think it's going to be or thought it was going to be, then you don't have to do it again. And nine times out of ten, they're like, did you see me? Oh, that was so fun. I did. I'm so fast, but that's, you know, it translates to to like with adults and going to the gym. It's like, yeah, it might be uncomfortable or something that you're not used to and you might not know what you're doing, but you figure it out and it gets easier. Just taking
0: that little step. I mean, exactly.
1: That's usually the hardest one. It's like
0: the first, the first step, the first step. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. So you decide to go back to college. Which you just finished. Yes. Why? Why did you decide to pursue college and and further your education?
1: Well, it's always been a goal of mine. Um, my dad, I, I think, just kind of pushed that into my sister and I. Yeah. head that we needed to get um, Dads our do degrees. Do a good
0: job of that. They don't do. They.
1: I know. And it's funny <laughs> though, because right now. I feel like the kids in this generation, college is kind of becoming less of a a thing than it was mm. in my generation, which I'm like, you lucky <laughs> <laughs> you lucky gen gen Zers, but um <laughs> but I I feel like it's just always been something that I've wanted to do. Okay. And I've it's one of those things like I'll I just had to had to do it. And I also am really passionate about mental health and mm-hmm. um just have a genuine interest in psychology and the way the human mind works. I think um you know, just reading stuff as I went through my own trauma mm-hmm. and especially um you know, with the amputation like I used to search all over for, you know, what how do you put your hair up if you have one arm? Or right. like, how do you tie your shoes if you and there just wasn't anything out there and so I want to be able to produce mm-hmm. stuff for young girls or you know, people who are going through what I went through right. because there wasn't that much content um, when I went through it. So that's why I started the YouTube channel where I make the tutorials and um, yeah. And I just feel like I can do that with psychology right. too, have a, a mental aspect to it. Um, but obviously, you know, I want to be qualified and know what I'm talking right. about before I tell people, oh, this is what you should do for your mental health.
0: <laughs> yeah. So do you feel that's, that's something that will give you clout and credibility is having that?
1: Well, I feel like, sure, credibility, um, but yeah, I don't know if I'd call it clout, but yeah, it's funny. I, I I was talking to someone the other day and they asked me this question, like, are you doing that so you're credible right. or so you have letters at the end of your name yeah. or what? And I was like, "Well, maybe." And they're like, "I'm pretty sure you're credible." Like,
0: yeah, I I guess it was. I think think you're pretty credible. I think that you are are okay. I watched. I watched some of your YouTube videos, and then I noticed you stopped doing them like three years ago.
1: Oh, geez! I had a feeling you were going to call me out about this. And
0: it's like that was some great content. That was some great stuff. And it's like, okay, well, maybe she's in a different phase in her life.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think that. Well, I guess. The reason for stepping away from social media was because it came, it became something where I felt like it was detracting from my personal life. And I feel like social media is so amazing for so many reasons. And, you know, so much good has come from it. But there also is this side to it where you can get so consumed with Mm -hmm. your image or how you're perceived and comparing yourself to others. And it just became, a little bit toxic and overwhelming for me. And so I think that's why I just set it down with the intention of revisiting. And I just haven't yet. Right. Um, I think that in order to do it, I want to like rebrand myself. And so sure, maybe it is getting some of those credentials to speak about mental health and, you know, do Mm trauma-informed coaching or that type of stuff. Because right now it's really just more like occupational therapy type tutorials, like how do you tie your shoes? Right. Da da da. so
0: um have you had people reach out to you from there and, yes yeah
1: yes like almost every day i had to turn my youtube notifications off because people are like come back where are you or yeah my favorite ones though are um people are like oh i broke my arm and this was so helpful or i just had a stroke right. and th- thank you so much this is like this one worked for me and um and actually some occupational therapists asking me if they could use okay my videos yeah. um for training and stuff. So, so yeah, it's, it's a really fulfilling thing. It just is something where you need to be able to balance it Mm -hmm. because it can become so demanding. Like people don't talk about the amount of work that it takes. I mean, and I'm sure, you know, um, you know, it it can be a lot. So, so yeah, I do plan on revisiting it hopefully soon. I just graduated. So maybe this summer I'll have some free time and
0: pick it yeah, back up. Yeah, I think it'd be a great thing because what I yeah. saw, I mean, like you say, if it can help people, that's what it's about, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, you were here for a reason. You too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely. 100%. So, what's my what's Megan's next journey in life? What do you where are you going next?
1: Who knows. Like I told you earlier, <laughs> I just kind of go where the where the wind blows me, but um I think grad school is in my future i want to there's a program i'm looking at that does um it's specifically for adolescent psychology and i don't know if i mentioned this to you earlier but there is a huge demand for for um like childhood Mm -hmm. psychologists right now especially in washington state so that and um i'll probably continue to coach track on some level and perhaps dabble in the YouTube realm, social media realm again. But eventually what I'd really like to do is like trauma-informed coaching, like independently or um, retreat, like retreat type Mm -hmm. things. Um, I've been to a couple actually that have just really helped me heal through some of the stuff um, that I've gone through. And so if I were to able – to be able to facilitate that with the contacts and the network that I have now, mm-hmm. I think it could be something that could be really beneficial to people who are in acute trauma and right. are feeling stuck or, you know, feeling the the pain and the, the confusion. Pain, yeah. yeah.
0: So did you go through any counseling when you were dealing with all this?
1: Oh, I'm a huge proponent of counseling <laughs> yeah. now, now that I'm in my 20s. But when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. I was so, I right. don't need therapy. And, right. Yeah. Um, so a little bit here and there, but I was pretty defiant. I didn't really go to occupational therapy either. They, they tried to get me to tie my shoes and there was only one bunny ear. And then I had to (laughs) carry around a tool to button my shirt. And I think after that appointment, I was like, um, I think I'll figure, I think I'll figure figure it out out on your own. By myself.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, so yeah, like I said, I, I love therapy. I think everyone probably needs a little bit of therapy, but But, yeah, back then, heck no. You wouldn't catch me at therapy.
0: You'll get through it on your own, Exactly, yeah. yeah. Like we were talking earlier, we were talking about, you know, sharing our stories with people and how healing Mm -hmm. that is. It's hard for people to sometimes do that. It's hard for them to really share their story and, and talk about what's going on. Yeah, And it's it's so healing. People don't realize that. Mm -hmm. So I commend you for sharing your story and trying to help.
1: Yeah, and you as well and for having this podcast, you know, to share other people's stories. So I
0: appreciate you having me on. Thank you. I appreciate you being on. So any final words for my audience?
1: Oh, uh, putting me on the spot. Well,
0: go to therapy. No,
1: I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Um, No, I just think that, you know, we have so much power... Over our lives and over our, our situation, you know, think about your and I stories
0: mm-hmm.
1: as examples. And I just think, you know, if you are able to overcome the hard stuff and face it and talk about it, like we've been saying right. that, you know, there's so much good on the other side right. of pain and struggle and. It usually takes a lot of pain and struggle to get there, but it's definitely worth it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Own your flaws,
1: right? Own your flaws, own Own your life. Yeah. 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 I love that. Oh, thanks.
0: Yeah. So I appreciate you being on.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. We'll have to do this fun. again. Yeah.
0: Once, once you get to your next phase, you figure out yeah. where you're going. Yeah. Next, wherever that is. Yeah. Yeah. So once once Megan figures it out and lands where she lands, then we'll get her back on so we can get everybody in contact with her eventually too. Sounds good. Because I'm sure you're going to be doing amazing things out there. Well, thank you. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to thank everybody for watching Never By the Book episode. Remember, if you're not doing it by the book, you might be onto something great. Until then. Be great. (laughs) How's that? Sounds
1: pretty good. Woo! It's a wrap. It's a wrap. (laughs) We wrapped it. Thanks, Nice. Okay, if I've crossed my leg, it's my knee in it. I would in the fridge. Yes. Yes. That's all
0: right. You can show your
1: holy pants. It's, it might bring up a subject. It's not profesh. No. You're not roasting me on the podcast. You can do it before. Okay. Do I look fine? Yes.
0: Okay. You look beautiful, Megan. There we go. Except the holy pants.
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs>